Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, welcome to the New Books Network. I am your host, Stephen Sakevich. Our world is being marked by a major transition of epochs towards a more neo-medieval era. But what is even meant by this term, neo-medieval? My next guest is Greg Levitsky, and he argues that a neo-medieval world is characterized by seven megatrends that are pushing us in this direction. Of course, by invoking the term medieval, this has nothing to do with the stereotype of the so-called Dark Ages that dominates popular imagination. Greg Levitsky is a foresight and communications consultant as well as a philosopher. He is a graduate of the London School of Economics with a focus on game theory, as well as Maastricht University with a focus on the future of science. He is currently a non-residential fellow at the Polish Economic Institute, as well as a research fellow at the War Studies University. Both are located in Warsaw, Poland. Uh, Greg Levitsky, welcome to the New Books Network. Uh, hello, it is my pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, so we usually like to begin by asking our guests to explain a little bit about your background and how did you get started on this project? So yeah, my background, my, my, my initial background, academic, uh, the beginning of my academic journey is related to international relations. Um, when I was studying international relations, I kind of realized the, um, the, the number of layers of analysis this kind of research uh, area offers. Well, it, it might be insufficient to grasp the complexity of the uh, civilizational processes, you know, uh, changing our world. So then, then I went uh, further to study uh, in Maastricht in the Netherlands social science with focus on, on of technological impact on the society. Then to study philosophy, um, philosophy of science with economics in uh, London School of Economics, and then to kind of link all of these um, uh, three disciplines: so international relations, social, social science, philosophy within um, a a PhD uh, at Jagiellonian University uh, in Krakow, Um, formally from philosophy, but uh, practically uh, the PhD is dealing with civilization theory. So something, um, so so basically how to analyze uh, the complex reality with many layers uh, available. And it's only then uh, that I kind of com- completed this research, I kind of realized I felt, you know, satiated that I kind of had, you know, the number of tools to that allow me to uh, study civilizational reality. When it comes to um, neo-medievalism or or the New Middle Ages, which is the idea. Uh, just very briefly speaking, uh, that says uh, today we face many uh, structures and phenomena and processes uh, that might be uh, typical rather of the bygone era of the Middle Ages than the modern processes. So so when it comes to this very idea, I first... um, came across uh, when it when I was studying international relations there's this branch of the, the British School of International Relations uh, and Hadley Boo, a British uh, scholar and uh, um, the, the, who wrote the book um, the anarchical society well he was speaking plainly uh, of course limiting himself to the layer of uh, international relations that these days we are observing some processes like fragmentation of the state power uh, well maybe not decline but the weakening of the traditional uh, uh, nation state and so on uh, and so he claimed that uh, this will be uh, or this might mean that uh, in the future, 23rd century, uh, 21st century, and so on, we will be facing uh, these medieval processes and we should really look for them. But of course, 
this is only the layer of international relations. This was, for example, creatively developed by, by um, um, Jan Zielonka, Oxford scholar, in, in his book, Europe as an Empire. Um, but, but, but then I started to ask this question to myself, can we speak whether this medievalization is limited only to uh, international relations, or maybe it is uh, more complex, a bundle of uh, civilizational processes. And then, then I started to look for different processes. Um, and I wrote an essay uh, around 2010, about which, which is called published only in Polish, unfortunately, uh, network theory of uh, medievalism uh, that I suggested that also in such spheres as uh, social uh, issues, um, demography, uh, economics, we can speak of some medieval processes. And then I, I, I really came across, uh, um, um, when I was really looking for more inspiration, I found a wonderful essay by uh, Umberto Eco, um, the return of the Middle Ages. In fact, it's um, uh, it's a compilation of two essays. Uh, one is called about dreaming of the new Middle Ages, and the other is called living in the new Middle Ages. So, in in when it comes to dreaming, Echo said, oh, "Okay, there are many things people call neo medieval, like I don't know, role playing uh, games." Uh, and uh, you know Conan the Barbarian, like uh, I don't know um, someone's um, radical conservatism. It's just like it's, it's, we can we can say it's medieval. You know, it's 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 it's, it's the return to, uh, of the Dark Ages because people I don't know don't read books anymore or 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 focus on religion or something like that. So 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 Echo said something. Okay. Let's sort out this kind of trivial um, pseudo-medieval or um, um, shallow medieval um, connotations, and and let's let's switch to um, really medieval processes. And 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 uh, Elko listed in in his essay. I really recommend this essay. It's really uh, eye-opening. So, of course, his remarks are quite essayistic, but he refers to, for example, the great migration um, of of the people that really will reshape the face, the civilizational face of Europe. He is speaking about uh, some um, processes within uh, your, you know, urban development, how cities start to develop, how uh, how social groups become alienated. And then when I read this, I kind of realized, okay, I am following in very, very noble uh, footsteps and I can really make um, uh, of the new middle ages as this, this idea something more coherent, more something which is broader than pure, uh, well-grounded academic reference to international relations. And that's how I started to develop, develop this idea. And in the meantime, uh, around 2015, I think, um, I, I was contacted by um, the, the office of the mayor of uh, the Polish city of, of Wrocław, who was back then uh, hosting the European Capital of Culture uh, project. And they asked me to kind of prepare a volume that would uh, develop this uh, um, um, new, new Middle Ages as a civilizational bundle. And as a result, uh, the, 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 there was a collection of essays written uh, cities in the neo-medieval era, published in, in Polish and English in two languages. And then this is more or less how how uh, how I started to root this uh, uh, idea of civilizational uh, medievalism first within the uh, Polish, um, let's say, in the intellectual landscape of the intellectual life. And then I, um, the very fact that it was also published in English allowed me to uh, also uh, contact some scholars that share my intuitions and develop this, uh, this idea further. Uh, for example, with the Professor Keith Turlough from 
um, Utrecht University. There's more focus on urban uh, urban uh, city related dimensions of uh, uh, medievalization. So 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 basically, uh, as we can see from this very brilliant idea of Hadley Bull to that uh, the, the post-Westphalian uh, um, idea of classic na nation states is basically receding or or evolving towards a more networked um, reality uh, of networked states um, to this very idea that uh, it's not only international relations as a layer, but we also have many layers, other layers of reality. It's kind of important, I would say, because, um, because if uh, our reality is starting to resemble uh, some medieval processes, uh, in so many layers, and I count at least seven layers of, 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 of these changes, then, uh, you know, it, 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 it's not only, uh, you know, uh, a theory of international relations, it's become a kind of bundle of interconnected trends that uh, have, um, that have influence and will keep influencing one another uh, in the decades uh, to come. And that's speaking like when it comes to Europe, for example, because when we look at the world, uh, um, it seems that there are uh, the medievalization of the of the world uh, as a globe. It's uh, well, it's 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 di it's different. It, it it's it's following different dynamics in different parts of the globe. Uh, there's the there's a book, the recent book uh, published by Springer uh, by Czech. Czech scholar Bohumil Dobosz called simply uh, New Middle Ages, where he is trying to show or approximate that globally on the world map where uh, which uh, medieval processes uh, are happening. Of course, he is limited to uh, international relations understanding of uh, neo-medievalism, neo but it, it shows that the idea is, is, is alive. And that we are uh, basically, uh, th th there are, it's inspiring for the scholars. It's one of the most important things uh, to have today. Something that is inspiring, something that goes beyond the, you know, the theories of, of, of civilization we have. Because we, of course, can say that, of course, we have, uh, the, the, you know, the, the world systems theory. We have many theories of globalization. We have... Um, we have network theory, we have game theory, we have, um, uh, we have many different tools at our disposal as scholars. And, 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 and a personal note here, I'm, I'm currently only uh, with, my, with one of my legs within the academic world. My, my, my other leg is uh, in, the, uh, is, is in the, the world of, uh, let's say, prognostics or foresight, which means I'm... Uh, um, um, I'm advising the corporate, public, military uh, entities uh, as to what uh, will or might happen and why and which processes are um, are uh, are behind my pr uh, predictions and suggestions. That's why this midi uh, neo medievalism is a very important layer, one of many, of course, but an important layer uh, when we look at uh, international reality. We have. Uh, we, we have, of course, civilizational layers, we have demographic layers, we have economic layers, we have geopolitical uh, layers. But this neo-medieval layer, I, I, I would dare to say it's, it's an important and um, fr potentially fruitful layer of analysis that uh, may lead us to, well, to uh, um, some truthful um, conclusions about where are we headed. That's a fascinating uh, backstory. And just from what you were talking about with the neo-medievalisms, I know just even in regular medieval studies, that has really kind of grown. And the whole uh, stereotypical Dark Age uh, image has kind of gone away. I remember uh, in one of my medieval uh, history classes, the professor on the first day said, if you use that term, I'll fail you because we just hate we just hate it when people invoke that term wrongly because it just simply meant there was a lack of written documents at the time. It didn't mean, you know, as he put it, oh, Europe returned to the Stone Ages. That's not what happened at all. And I know with well, uh, Andy, 
Yeah. And I also yes, know. Yes. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just I was just about to say that, you know, that the very idea of dark ages was created uh, in the era of enlightenment uh, just to, to kind of, let's say, well, um, it was diminutive term, a term just to just to say that, you know, there was no complexity, uh, uh, people were irrational and so on. And of course, and of course, when we speak of medievalization today, uh, it's, 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 well, many processes are worrisome, but, but what I'm trying to say um, that just don't, like, when I speak to many people, they, they are getting triggered, you know, emotionally triggered each time the very idea of new middle ages as a kind of point of reference uh, um, arises. They say, well, 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 what do you, do you want to bring us back to, the, to these dark ages? And then I had to start a long discussion about how, you know, um, normative uh, prognostics differs from uh, descriptive prognostics. So normative prognostics says, we want reality to be like A, B, C, or D, uh, and we will kind of, we want to shape it uh, toward this point. Whereas descriptive prognostics says, look, uh, there are certain processes uh, uh, in the background working, and well, whether you like it or not, they are there, and we have to address them somehow. Uh, that, that's 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 the bad thing when you are getting triggered because uh, we are referring to some processes as new medieval. Then it only means that you don't want to uh, talk about some issues because they are labeled as uh, new medieval. This is really bad, and I'm really fighting uh, just just to kind of change this. Uh, and I, well, I, I think I already succeeded partially at least. Um, especially when people realize that it's not only, you know, about international relations. There are like seven layers. Maybe I can speak briefly about these seven layers. Yes. In fact, we were just I was just about to ask you about that. You speak of these seven megatrends that kind of yes. outline this neo-medieval era. And the first one yes. you mentioned is international relations, the emergence of the network state, as you put. Yes. Can you explain uh, that one for us? Yeah, so the so 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 just maybe re, just summarize again. Uh, well, we are witnessing the decline of the traditional nation state and the emergence of the network state. It doesn't mean that states will you know cease to exist. They will have to share, and they already have to share power with many different entities like big tech companies, like uh, you know, like. Uh, uh, the the association the the, the economic associations uh, like uh, you know the the new uh, let's say nobility or just basically very very wealthy uh, individuals uh, and so on and so on so that's 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 international relations then we have this demographic and migration related uh, um, uh, medievalism when we look at the very very beginning of the uh, you, you know uh, new middle ages so let's say the the the, the final era of uh, the roman empire in pax uh, roman uh, era which is the the the, the period of two, more than 200 years long period of peace. Then we had this great migration of people um, uh, basically pushing the limits of, 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 of the empire, the, the boundary, changing its uh, culture within, changing it also from the outside. Um, and, and, and basically when we look at the Western civilization, the civilization that we are uh, having in Europe right now, it was based on this. Uh, well, it, it, it's root, its cradle was this migration or the, the mixing of cultures um, within Roman Empire that basically um, formed the West. So we, we are having something very similar uh, in many places of the uh, world that, I mean, long term. Um, persistent uh, migration that is actually changing culturally uh, many global regions. It's not only Europe, it's also the United States. But when we look at Europe, well, we will have, uh, we will have this uh, change, of course. Um, and of course, that maybe that's important. We are not coming back to, to Middle Ages because when we look philosophically at what is happening right now, 
uh, history can be likened, you know, to a, uh, a spiral. So spiral is on the one hand, it's cyclic, uh, cyclical. So some processes re uh, recur, just come back, but it's also linear. Uh, spiral goes in certain directions. So, so we are witnessing the um, first, both cyclical and linear processes. Many people uh, really have difficulties in thinking uh, in such a dual, you know, manner how something can be both cyclical and linear. Well, it depends on how many dimension, uh, dimensions of reality you are speaking of. So, okay, so we have this, so we have the second, which is uh, demography. Then we have uh, this religion uh, and, and ethnicity related uh, medievalism. Um, so basically, uh, well, of course, in Europe, uh, well, relig religion is, seems to be in certain, certain places, in Europe uh, in decline, but when you look when we look globally, when we look at Africa, when we look in uh, in, in the India, uh, Pakistan, uh, so we witness the uh, well well the, the the condition of religion is quite you know quite uh, substantial. We will not have this kind of de and total de enchantment of the world. Uh, on, uh, to the contrary, many people who are uh, traveling to Europe, for example, from Africa, from the Middle East, um, uh, there, there was this um, ancient, you know, ancient uh, philosophers were saying that people are carrying their habits with them. And that's, 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 the, that's exactly what is happening. People are carrying their religions, their uh, their culture uh, to their, the, the new place of living, which is, for example, Europe. So let's stick to this European example. And they want to uh, realize uh, their cultural, religious needs while there. So, so um, uh, even in places where we, we will have this kind of decline of religiosity, in a way, we will have uh, the growing uh, the politi growing political importance of religions. Why? Because when we look at, for example, at the history of late Roman Empire, uh, religion was uh, was acting as this kind of unifying um, factor. Of course, there was. Uh, well, let's stick to this era of Pax Romana, the, the the era of Roman peace. We had many religions religions competing for uh, for 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 you know for the for souls, because well, no matter what we think, uh, your soul is you know a, li a limited commodity. You can you can have one religion or the other religion, or you can be an atheist, or you can potentially linked some uh, atheist inclinations and religious, but when it comes to religion, you can have only one religion in your heart. I try to kind of quite quite simplistically uh, model uh, or basically to show how this kind of uh, game theoretic uh, approach to religion looks like. Uh, I once uh, had this TEDx talk called Simulator, Simulator of uh, Christianity. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's very, very simple, but 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 basically shows that religions are, you know, are um, groups of, you know, um, social bonding, and they offer some comfort, especially uh, when it, when you are feeling alienated. And when, what we feel right now is happening in Europe, and it's, it was also what um, Umberto Eco was uh, was pointing at, is the growing kind of alienation and segregation of social social groups uh, in accordance with uh, religious and ethnic variables. Uh, so well, well, there's, this, there's the whole network uh, game theoretic science behind how segregation is emerging. But what we can see right now in Europe is just probably something I call balkanization, which means the segregation of, uh, of, 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 of cultures. And this is precisely also what happened in late Roman Empire before the advent of the, the Middle Ages. But well, let, let's let it leave it uh, like that for now, because there's this fourth uh, um, um, symptom of uh, new Middle Ages, which is which manifests itself in the area of law. Like we we used to, we are used to this kind of uh, 
legal systems that are well uniform, um, stretching uh, throughout the entire territory, and th- th- there's th- there's only single system of law. Whereas in the past, in the Middle Ages, and of course uh, we we can observe it also right now, we can see something I called a crawling legal pluralism. This means that you can have many legal standards on a single territory. Take example from Europe, for example, France. Uh, on the one hand, uh, France is a lay state, and, uh, and 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 the state is a guardian of of, of uh, lay legal system. But on the other hand, uh, there you have um, different sources of law, like the authority of Quran, uh, that many um, many Muslims are basically claiming. Well. Uh, the lay uh, law of France cannot be put higher than their religious law of Sharia. And of course, um, President Macron is trying to kind of, well, do something with this duality of law. Uh, but as we can see, uh, it, it's not, well, he's not very, very successful. So so we ca- we have some areas in France that, well, because many people believe in the uh, superiority of Sharia law, they, um, well, it is the law that is more, uh, you know, closer to their hearts. The process is, is crawling, but, but but it's also happening in, in, in um, Great Britain. We had, for example, some um, problems related to uh, the, the Muslim marriages, how uh, the, there's this great debate in the in, 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 uh, United Kingdom, how should a legal uh, system treat these marriages that are invalid uh, when it comes to uh, British law. Um, and so on, and so on. So this is the fourth, uh, the fourth, um, uh, let's say, medieval phenomenon. There is also this uh, technolo- very, very, very interesting technological uh, dimension of medievalism. Um, uh, it's related mostly to this, uh, the, the the idea of you know uh, Ill- new illiteracy. So in the past, uh, we had well not enough. Uh, information in circulation. So people were, when when it comes to spread of information, it was well m- quite a, quite a, only a few people could basically read. Uh, if you had some information, you had it from a town crier or from a tavern or from a uh, you know a royal herald. Uh, so there was not enough information. People were did not have enough information to basically uh, decide. And and you would say, well, how can this relate uh, to you know the, the modern era where we have this information overload? We have so so that's that's a paradox because uh, today there's two much information around but when we have this um, overabundance our brain reacts by rejection so if i have if there's too much information around i basically deny i basically reject the very uh, fact of absorbing information our brain is uh, is is rejecting too uh, too much information this is this is all um, this is uh, there is this uh, uh, old story, children's story by uh, by Alexander Fredro about a donkey that had um, that had m- many types of oats or hay to choose from. At, at the very end, uh, it, it 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 you know this donkey passes away because it cannot choose which one which what to eat. Right. So this is precisely what is happening right now. If you ask people. Do they feel do they feel well informed? So there is also there is also this uh, technological uh, technology related uh, social uh, um, medievalism related to uh, new illiteracy. So in the past uh, we had we had not enough information floating around. People were notoriously you know uh, ill-informed or they just lacked uh, information um, when they got some information well only a few people could really re- read books 
uh, what you had was also only spoken, you know, words, some uh, some rumors. You got information from tavern, from from a bar, from a, from from a royal herald. But then we can ask, how can this uh, re be related to modern era, where the situation is directly up the up, you know, to the opposite? We have uh, information overload. So it seems that. Uh, um, really, it doesn't matter whether you have uh, no information or too much information. Your brain tends, your brain tends to react in the in the same way. It does not process information. So these days, uh, we have this new literacy because because of the information overload. We we just reject, you know, we reject information. We uh, uh, we we think we are living in this kind of quagmire of fake news of uh, of information and and but 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 as a result we are ill informed just as we were in the middle ages we believe in you know uh, we, we we believe in propaganda we believe we are being bubbled uh, in some uh, social spheres where well there is no uh, global uh, circulation or there are rumors circulating we we could see this in when it comes to for example the covid-19 uh, misinformation so 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 this is the, the, the there was this uh, children's story by alexander fredro a polish poet um, about a donkey that that, uh, that passed away between mongers of oats and hay so basically, it had too much to choose from, and it did not choose anything, and it died. And this is basically how uh, we are acting these days uh, when it comes to information. So, so um, information is not serving this what let's say ideal theoretical goal that enlightenment had. Uh, prepared for information. Information was tending to create knowledge. Information uh, was all about, you know, making people uh, better educated, uh, more adaptable, and so on. And of course, there is some, there is certain progress when it comes to education. But um, as uh, as as the technological progress allows us to choose from many sources of information, as algorithms as algorithms sort the information for us in in a way we want we sort our information socially so we are uh, tending to believe uh, uh, that our neighbor who watched something from youtube is a of, is a greater authority than i don't know professor or someone else so this is also um, and this will basically lead to similar processes uh, that uh, were happening in the Middle Ages. For example, in Europe, uh, in the COVID era, some people, you know, believe uh, the uh, the Wi-Fi, uh, the Wi-Fi or the, the um, um, mobile signal uh, towers uh, were spreading COVID or whatever, and so people start to, you know, burn uh, uh, these uh, these towers. Uh, because they thought they would really fight some evil uh, by doing so. So where is rationality? It's not rationality anymore. Um, rationality is getting fragmented and our societies are also getting fragmented. Well, um, and, and this is in, an important, uh, another, uh, I think the fifth uh, uh, dimension of neo-medievalism. There is also an economic dimension of uh, neo-medievalism. So I, I call it um, the feudalization of capitalism, uh, uh, which brings about feudal risks. So we have this, you know, especially leftist thought uh, t tells us that we have this crisis of capitalism because of uh, it cannot manage, can, um, you know, mature capitalists cannot manage the uh, the life of 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 you know of in individuals and so on. So and you have and 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 you have some um, few processes that are feudal in nature that are stepping in. There are many many. Uh, uh, scholars who are speaking of uh, digital feudalism, for example, uh, like Varoufakis, uh, Greek uh, economist. There, but, but the important thing is that what is capitalism? Capitalism is a system that um, get, attributes market value to everything. 
Uh, whereas feudal um, feudal uh, system just goes beyond the market value and basically create um, is open about hierarchies that exist in the world and uh, well um, tries to uh, make people accustomed to the fact that there are hierarchies of power there are hierarchies of possession that uh, many of us are less powerful than uh, well uh, th th than the selected few uh, and and this is this is this kind of um, it's not the, the, the this kind of neo feudalism the feudalism as a part of economic uh, medievalization is of course being contested by by, by some scholars but I believe it's very uh, very important uh, um, way to look at reality I, I will give you one example. Uh, when we look, for example, at the how um, technological uh, companies operate, they basically um, they basically treat you as this kind of uh, well, <laughs> as a kind of you know digital peasant. You by they trade they they track your um, what you are doing in the web. They are earning money on you because you are sorting information for for them. They create a psychological, uh, pro, uh, you know, um, uh, profile of of you. They earn money on you, but you don't earn this money on you. On the on the other hand, you cannot reject the technological interconnectedness. So you are being kind of forced to use the tools that are. Um, in a way, exploiting you. So this is the, how the technology is being uh, this kind of feudal uh, factor that reshapes us. But also, when it comes to government, uh, governments are offering a new deal. I mean, the, the, the public sphere becomes well, a bit, well, it's, it's growing. Uh, in many countries, uh, the elites are, you know, realize that to compete with um, um, private companies of global of global reach, smaller or uh, middle powers, I mean middle power states, have to create the the the, the public the, the public controlled uh, national champions like companies uh, that have uh, that get enough influence but important public component, and they put them on this uh, stage of international relations to compete uh, for influence, influences and powers. And, and of course, in, in, the, in, in, the, uh, in the process, you, you witness, well, the weakening of the middle class, especially in the Western civilization. Uh, so the, the middle class is becoming uh, weaker and weaker. Uh, well, I, I, would even, I would even say we are entering this kind of era of post property you don't because things around like flats uh, like cars are expensive you don't you don't want to uh, have them possess them anymore own them i'm sorry you don't want to own them you can use them but well for 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 the growing number of people it seems uh, very rational very prudent uh, to um, not to own anything um, because, well, because you can consume more uh, by only using some things like cars, like uh, using the, the music, using films, not owning uh, uh, the, 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 the components, uh, the material uh, components of things to use. So, so, so there are many, many uh, undescribed and hidden, unlocked, thus far unlocked layers of this economic medievalization that still remain uh, undescribed. And this, that's a very, well, so to speak, a fertile field for, you know, for researchers uh, to, to think of. And, and again, it's unlocked by this medieval thinking that, uh, well, it's not it's not about you know feudalism coming and you know you know be, coming here and basically killing capitalism no when we, when we look at economic system as networks you can have a dominant uh, capitalist network with sprouting um, slowly sprouting um, parts of networks that follow a bit different logic, uh, the, the, feu the feudal logic. 
So well, th this is important to note because when I'm uh, talking to people about neo-medievalism, it's not that neo-medievalism will, will, I don't know, destroy liberalism. It's more when, when we when we look graphically, we, we could look at when you take a glass of water and you pour some orange juice. So you see this orange juice is just, you know, spreading, slowly spreading in different parts, uh, basically reshaping the, um, uh, the, the color of the water. So this is how medievalization is changing uh, uh, our reality. Also, uh, maybe let's, let's, let's go to the last uh, neo-medieval trend. It is uh, visible in, uh, in, well, city life or urbanism. First of all, is there are some works already that say that structurally the modern states, uh, the modern cities are, uh, when it comes to structure, they produce the, 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 um, uh, the processes they trigger or the, um, how they reshape the area uh, for, for the population. They are more, um, they could be more uh, likened to the medieval. Uh, so we are basically, cities are changing um, structurally to kind of be more uh, similar to those from the Middle Ages. And when we look at the different layers of reality, we know why. Because real, different layers of reality creates what people want, what people love, what people, uh, where people go. And this is, of course, visible later in this um, era of, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the area of, of city. And also, there's another thing that, well, might be worrisome, I would say, really, when it comes to the future, is that rationality um, rationality is 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 um, is not the sole or the only important factor anymore many people you know would say uh, would say would prefer uh, something i call reasonability so your reasonability is basically treating rationality as, as one of the components that enable you to make some decisions. So uh, look, for example, at some processes when, uh, when um, city-related decisions are being made. So in the past, we thought there are politicians, they ask, you know, expert, and the, the experts rationally decide something should be produced somewhere. Uh, whereas, in fact, uh, people say, no, no, no you know, rationality is important, but experts might be biased, but you have to take uh, into account the social emotions of the people, no matter uh, their, their rationality. You can have, you know, uh, irrational emotions. You can have irrational beliefs. You can have irrational inclinations, and, and this irrationality have to be taken uh, care of. So, People, um, so this is really interesting. So, so these days, uh, a, a growing virtue in in a popular uh, understanding when it comes to a public opinion is to be reasonable instead of be rational. If you are reasonable, well, people have you know their own truths. I have my own truth. Uh, it might be it might be formed, uh, you know. Uh, from religious, uh, cultural, philosophical, uh, many, many different components, but reasonability is becoming more, more and more important, which is, to a certain extent, well, um, um, well, reverse of this, um, well, enlightenment-related ideal of, of rationality that will permeate the all social classes from very top to uh, to the bottom. It's, it doesn't work like that. And we are, well, we are getting, uh, we should really be kind of taking this as, as, as something constant because it allows us to manage uh, global changes um, more efficiently. So these are, you know, these seven uh, features of uh, uh, neo-medievalism. So, in international relations, in demography and migration, in religion and ethnicity, in law, in technology, in urbanism, and in the economy. And of course, it is, I would, well, of course, talk for hours how these uh, seven, how this golden seven, uh, um, how each component is influence, in influencing one another. But maybe it's maybe, maybe well, you leave it for later. The, the important thing is that 
this way of thinking should really unlock our imagination and uh, allow us to, you know, cope with the, the reality and even, you know, prognosticate the problems that are not visible yet for uh, the decision makers. Yeah, and to counter these uh, mega trends, you uh, mentioned several strategies that we need to implement for these, like weakening legal pluralism, new multiculturalism, codification of European values, uh, and strengthening European Union institutions. Can you explain these uh, in further detail? Yeah, yeah. So, so of course, of course, uh, these, uh, these, you know, these tools I, I put forward are, were are. Um, are only it's only a list of, of first of, of the first few there there I, I'm really certain there will be many important uh, ways or important new tools that we will we will have to forge you know um, um, to you know we have to forge words you know to to you know to adapt to the Middle Ages we have to really uh, some some when it comes for example this legal pluralism. For example, you know, uh, we really need, uh, you know, we should not normalize um, uh, the, the very fact that because, for example, we are culturally different, uh, we can have different approach to law. Uh, when we will follow this, it, it might be acceptable for some, but we would be really, uh, you know, hastening, we would, we would be speeding up the cultural fragmentation of Europe. So, for example, in principle, what uh, to stick to, uh, to the French example I, I, I mentioned before, what uh, the French President Macron is, is saying, uh, trying to uh, uh, make, for example, some religious communities to state plainly that they agree for the superiority of uh, French law it's it's very well it's uh, it's very difficult because it might uh, make him unpopular that he's kind of influencing religions that he's uh, not respecting cultural you know cultural di differences and so on but uh, if we, if we uh, want, uh, if we accept legal problem, we would really wake up in this reality, uh, like in the Middle Ages, where you went to the court and the judge would ask you under which law you want to be judged, and you would say, uh, you know, under lay law or Christian law or 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 or, or Muslim law, or you know. It's, it, it, it might sound really, you know, sound funny even, you know, when you, when you, when you hear that, but these processes are, uh, these processes are really, really somewhere uh, in the background. They are not that much visible, but they will uh, manifest themselves in, in the future decades. Another thing, for example, uh, really, really have to work a new approach to uh, uh, managing cultural diversity and multi multiculturalism. For example, you know, um, we have to stabilize uh, our, our, when it comes to Europe, for example, we have to stabilize the complexity and plurality of different uh, cultural traditions in a way that first would be stable. So the societies would uh, uh, first have this feeling their diversity is recognized, but on the other hand, they would not reject the uh, overarching, I don't know, state order or what uh, the Muslim uh, scholar Ibn Khaldun called Asabiya, so the overarching goal, overarching unity. If we won't have this unity, we will have really medieval uh, processes or even, you know, the new called called religious wars uh, in Europe, which means uh, isolating uh, um, isolation of re religions based on uh, the, 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 their beliefs. It, it's already starting if you look at some um, uh, some areas in uh, uh, Western Europe. So to counter this, I I have written uh, quite a few essays about how, uh, the um, Eastern European tradition from Jagiellonian times. So there was this uh, period in European history in uh, Eastern Europe that um, there was this kind of uh, 
um, a state that was really relatively much more tolerant than the Western Europe because, uh, because the kings were really uh, approaching multiculturalism with a set of uh, simple rules. Uh, so, for example, one of the one of these rules was that if your sacred book uh, books say something different to uh, what the uh, what what the king is saying, then you have to uh, adapt or not uh, um, realize the content of, of of the book. For example, there was this rule that. Uh, you have to practice whatever habit, whatever cultural, or religious, uh, ethnic habit, as as long as it does not uh, lead to separatism and so on. So, so, so there are many, many, many ways where we could learn from the history of Eastern Europe uh, to reshape, to address uh, new Middle Ages, uh, to create this stable, tolerant society, uh, but. If you want real tolerance, you have to first uh, realize the processes that are in the background. If you if you close your eyes, if you this is what happened unfortunately in the Western Europe, uh, many politicians were closing eyes, just ignoring cultural turmoil, which results to you know things like ghettoization, uh, isolation, separatism. Uh, so there is there is this tradition that might help. Also, there is this very you know there is this question about you know codif codifying European values. On the one hand, uh, we can say well we can have European Union of the future even as a federation uh, that would not have common you know axiological so value related uh, handbook. Well, well of course you can have different values in Poland, different values in Czech Republic, different values in France, and so on and so on. But against that, there are some who are saying there should be some European, common European values related to heritage. For I, I will give you one example. Uh, there, there is this story about, uh, about whether a female should wear a religious scarf. So Sweden, Switzerland, different countries say something differently. One of, one, of, one of them is saying, well, women's rights require, women's right require you to basically reject the scarf because the scarf is a symbol of male oppression. On the other hand, uh, some other you know, uh, analysts say, no, 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 look, uh, everyone can do whatever the tradition, religious traditions uh, Tell them. So we have on the one hand religious freedom, on the other hand we have female rights. So what to do when they clash with each other? We will have a similar question like that uh, emerging in Europe in the future. And some of some of the scholars say, well, maybe we should really codify European values. And of course, we had in the past we had a, 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 a such um, such initiatives. But as you might uh, have guessed, they they led nowhere because uh, there was too much complexity. People really advocated different things, and no one in the European Union could agree what should be these European values. So so uh, so. But if we want to do this right now, we will have um, we will have this kind of uh, I call it dappled Europe. So Europe. Europe of, of different uh, cultures, different cultural norms, of uh, different different um, civilizational inclinations, and so on. And as a result, we might actually live in a in a in a in a in a world where part of European geopolitics will be led by the caliphs, the pope, the lay leaders that will have to really. Uh, entangled in this network of uh, of power competition, it is it is a likely future. So 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 this is this is about the European values. It's a difficult, very difficult issue. Also, there is this um, the, the third, maybe not that evident way, uh, the fourth, sorry, way to combat uh, some negative trends of the New Middle Ages, is this. Uh, other Proteus, uh, Protean adaptation. Proteus was this uh, was this ancient god in mythology that could keep his 
essence, but take different shapes. So he could be a animal, a human, or whatever, but he was remaining itself. So it, 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 it apparently seems that when we unlock our imagination by uh, neo-medieval thinking, we might just look for, well, totally different solutions, institutional procedural solutions uh, uh, on many, on local and central levels of political management that might really, well, that we that we are well, afraid of uh, thinking these days because they, uh, they, they seem weird, but in the future, they would really seem very, very natural. So, so this kind of protein adaptation uh, that comes uh, to mind uh, together with the postulate to really unlock our imagination and reject the old pattern, the, the old patterns of thinking. This is another way or more a kind of general approach. Um, also, uh, you could really manage uh, uh, neo-medieval trends by, by uh, institutional reforms, be it on local level, central level or uh, well over this uh, over the level over the central level which is for example European Union uh, so we could really strengthen some uh, European institutions I was I was uh, suggesting we could really strengthen uh, the uh, the European uh, committee of regions uh, well just to um, give way to these uh, down-to-top social uh, pro-democratic trends uh, to, you know, to trigger some adaptive management. And of course, it's the great discussion about the future. Uh, and of course, every region of the world, depending on the institution it has, will have to find different solutions. Now I just mentioned European Union, but United States will really have to uh, find its way within this uh, medievalization as well. So these are, you know, the five ways I can I can really uh, uh, speak of right now. But there are, of course, many different ways uh, that will emerge and that will really enable us to manage this uh, European uh, entity and new medieval process. Yeah, this has been a real fascinating uh, discussion. We usually like to end by asking our guests, what are they, uh, what are you working on now uh, besides the neo-medieval uh, geopolitics project? Well, these, these days I am, I am working something, um, and yet another layer apart from uh, neo-medievalism that would really help uh, the foresight consultants uh, and people who deal with who double, you know, prognostics to really uh, make uh, efficient predictive bundles and, and adequate judgment about the world. So, so what I'm trying to do right now is to uh, uh, create this kind of new uh, new approach to uh, comparative uh, research on civilizations. So we, we, we well, many of us know this idea of Arnold Toynbee or by Samuel Huntington that you have uh, above this international level, there are also uh, cultural groups or cultural zones or, or uh, speaking plainly, civilizations. So we have Western civilization, Russian Orthodox civilization, you have Confucian civilization, you can have African civilization, Islamic, and so on and so on. But the problem is when, when, you, when you speak about civilizations, uh, there are many critics of this approach because they say, well, by um, uh, subscribing people to only one civilization, you are be basically building walls between the people. Uh, you are, uh, there's, for example, Peter Katzenstein, the, the renowned uh, Ivy League American uh, theorist of international relations, he's just saying like that, something like that, that you are building walls between the people by dividing the world uh, into civilization. But on the other hand, we feel uh, there is this whole, whole area of research called, uh, you know, research on cultural dis distance between groups, uh, societies. So I'm trying to kind of um, use network theory, game theory, and some uh, models that would feed on uh, econom econometric data sets, including uh, state power index and index of state power are created and the research by world value survey and different data sets. So I'm taking all this and trying to, sh to show that in fact, civilizations are not 
you know, neighborhoods that have, you know, walls in between. But uh, civilizations first do exist, but they are networks. They are networks that uh, are in constant friction and constant cooperation. And you can basically measure civilizational identities. And the very, very well, intuitive example would be what is happening right now, for example, in Ukraine. Ukraine uh, has already switched the civilizational belonging from the Russian Orthodox uh, cultural zone to the Western uh, zone. And, well, uh, many, many people in Eastern Europe, in Poland and so on, really could see this coming, the, 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 this ongoing war as well. Uh, myself included, but many people, when Western scholars have not really uh, have not really expected something like this to uh, to happen. And if you take uh, my tools that I'm, that I'm creating in the future, this kind of adaptive, elusive, dynamic, evolving um, civilizational properties of of states of cultures will be uh, more measurable and more useful for uh, prognostics. Very fascinating. In fact, uh, when you further develop that work, uh, we could have you back on the program, and you can we can discuss that. Oh, I will, I will, I will be really delighted. I well, I'm I'm giving myself a year or or or, or two just to finish uh, uh, this book, and uh, hopefully we, we would talk uh, again about this very issue. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, Greg Levitsky. Uh, thank you for joining us on the New Books Network for this very fascinating talk. Thank you. It's it was a great pleasure.